0: It's time for episode 69 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, January 7th, 2015. Clockwise, four guests, four tech topics, 30 minutes.
1: Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast where there's no time like the present. I'm your co host, Dan Moran, and across the country from me, as always, is my co host, jason Snow, happy 2015 jason howdy dan it's good to uh, good to hear your voice in a new year it is it feels like it's been a year since we last did this show i
0: so in a way it has <laughs> <laughs> and uh, thanks to everybody out there for coming back. Uh, we've rested control of the podcast away from Philip Michaels and his pundit showdown. And now we are back to normal. Dan, would you like to
1: introduce our first guest? I would love to. Freshly minted as the new head of business development at Black Pixel, it's Jesse Char. Hi, Jesse.
2: Hello. Do you Welcome
1: have a title, Jesse, or is that is the, is it just uh, sort of a of... It's business
2: development lead. <laughs> oh, lead.
1: Sorry. I, I, L H. I can't spell. It's okay. I never learned.
2: That's fine. But,
0: <laughs> it, it involves business development anyway. To my left is our old colleague and pal, and now the gear and Apple editor at The Wire Cutter. It's another Dan, Dan Frakes. Hi, Dan.
3: Hey, guys. Glad to be here. And girls. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Right, <laughs> Get it straight, Frakes. Come on. Get although, it together. Although it's probably... Men and women would probably be more appropriate than guys and girls.
2: Men and women. Fellow yeah. fellow <laughs>
1: yeah. podcast participants would
2: yeah, also Gentlemen, be
1: gentlemen and ladies. I always think that I yeah. I like to go with the polite Yes. That. That's a polite. Exactly. That's polite, it. Thank yes. You, yes. All right, so we're going to cover four tech topics in 30 minutes, and without any further ado, I'm going to kick this off uh, with the news that much of the Apple press is talking about right now, and that is the rumor of a crazy 12-inch MacBook posted by Mark Gurman over at 9to5Mac. Um, Among other things, it seems like it would have only two ports on it, a USB-C port and a headphone jack, all this stuff. So my questions are twofold. One... Do you think this is actually in any way what we're going to end up seeing from Apple? Or, you know, maybe this is just another prototype that won't make it? And two, if this were real, would this be a computer that you are interested in buying? Jesse? what do you think?
2: Well, I speak to you from an 11-inch MacBook Air, which is my favorite kind of Mac ever, hands down, the best one. Um... I don't know, 12-inch, so they they make 11, they make 13. Are you saying that the rumor is that they're going to replace those with a 12-inch or that they're just going to add one into the mix?
1: Well, it's unclear because it seems like this is positioned somewhere in between, but at the same time, it seems very much angled at the ultra-portable market. In some ways, this is almost like the MacBook Air to the existing MacBook Air, like if you think back to that old original MacBook Air.
2: Even though it's bigger than... Yeah, it's got inch. a bigger
1: screen, but yeah. I think it's supposed to be thinner and lighter, uh, you know, Apple style, thinner and lighter. Yeah, yeah roughly the yeah. size
0: of the 11-inch, but with a bigger screen because they're, they're reducing some of the bezel and the sort of the side sizes. Um, yeah. And it may be one of those things where they introduce this and then the other two go away eventually. I, that would be my guess.
2: Yeah, yeah I mean, of course, uh, present day Jessie, as she's in the company of her 11-inch MacBook Air, uh, is obligated to say that she does not want a 12-inch MacBook Air <laughs> because that's <laughs> dirty and large. Um, now that doesn't mean that future Jesse is not going to be lured away, uh, into the arms of a 12 inch MacBook, right? Um, I do really like the 11 inch size because it fits really well in, in lady purses or woman purses or girl purses, whatever you prefer. (laughs) Um, but, but I don't know if they're making it real thin and real pretty, then of course I'd be open to looking at a new ultra tiny laptop. They're Could
1: awesome. Whisper that so your eleven inch doesn't hear
2: it. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's not sorry. listening. Sorry, little guy. I
1: uh, I
0: also am somebody who's got an eleven inch MacBook Air, and I used it as my primary system for a long time. And I, I now have an iMac, but I still use it all the time. Um, and I, I don't know. Um, on one level, I flash back to the original MacBook Air when I when I read about uh, the the um, you know rumored configurations that Mark Gurman is talking about and his sources are generally pretty good it doesn't mean that he's absolutely right but um I think there's a decent chance it's worth talking about it at least and uh when I flash back to that original air what I think about is how it was really ambitious and um couldn't quite live up to it it was underpowered it was super thin and light and that was great but it was also underpowered it only had one USB port it was kind of painful and I look at this and I think wow okay they're pushing the envelope again they want to get something that's lighter and thinner they've talked about uh, in German's report it only has one port it's a new kind of USB port that you would use to power it and to do connectivity and uh, you know and and could they make that and will they make that maybe um, but I also look at that and and it just reminds me of all the compromises and what happened over time is that the MacBook Air got less compromised and became much more awesome and uh, that's my concern here is that we're going to be in this painful cycle again where there's going to be this laptop that is cool in some ways but so compromised that it's going to be painful for the people who use it because it's going to have lots of weirdnesses that other Macs don't have that all said on one level it makes a lot of sense because the MacBook Air is so powerful now that there's not a whole lot other than Retina I mean, it, the MacBook Pro is better, but it's not a lot better, and uh, a lot of people can just opt for the Air, and that's fine. And I, I, I'm not sure that's a good place for Apple to be. I think Apple wants to have some differentiation in their laptop line, so maybe it makes sense on that on that scale. Dan Frakes, what do you think?
3: I think most of it makes sense, um, the thinner, the bigger screen, the lighter the, you know, kind of uh, the, the the images make the keyboard look a little smaller so that they can, you know, they can they can change that dimension. I, I mean, I think all that makes sense. And it seems to be the obvious place where Apple would want to go if they were going to make a new, bigger screened ultralight. The one thing that gets me is the whole idea that it has no ports other than a USB 3C port, which,
1: you know. I, and I, a headphone jack. And well, a headphone yeah, jack. Well,
3: yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, they can charge by the headphone jack like for, the iPod Shuffle, right? There was a rumor it wouldn't even have a headphone jack, so that's, yeah. You yeah. Know.
3: I mean, they're basically according to this rumor, it's going to charge, it's going to have video output, it's going to do all expansion through one port. And to me, that seems a little crazy. I mean, granted, the original Air had what? But it had one USB port. Was one that right? one they USB only port. Two, like a year or two later. Yeah. Um, but for charging and for you know for external hard drives, all this stuff on one port seems a little crazy to me. On the other hand, this is Apple. And we've seen them do kind of stuff like this before, crazy stuff like this. So maybe they're saying, yeah, Thunderbolt's great, but that's for our MacBook Pros and USB 3.0 is the new thing. So we're going to jump right on it. So I, I don't know. That would, that would be, I think, the, 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 the big brouhaha over it is if it turned out to be real, really only have one expansion port at all.
1: Yeah, I, so I've for years thought that Apple really wants to get down to the point where it only has a single port, and I think that Thunderbolt was a great example of where they were trying to go with that. It kind of surprises me that they would, you know, ditch that in favor of the USB, but uh, as someone on on Twitter, it might have been Kirk McAlearn, pointed out like, well, I mean, if this were an iOS device, you could get away with having two ports, you know, one port that does pretty much everything and one port that's like a dedicated headphone jack. Um, I, I don't know that that works as well as on a a Mac. Someone, maybe Marco pointed out, Marco Arment pointed out like, yeah, this is great up until you're at that point where it's like, hold on, let me unplug my computer and run on battery so I can plug a mouse in. Um, and I think Gruber said that, you know, why not two ports at least just to have an option of connecting a peripheral and having power. Right. Um, and there's all the questions of if you're trading down and making this so much slimmer and lighter how much battery room do you have? Like, is this going to have MacBook Air, a current MacBook Air standard battery life? Or is it going to be a lot, you know, a lot lower because they just can't fit as much battery in and, and that would be a problem if you can't charge it and have other stuff connected at the same time. So, uh, but I agree with Jason that, you know, I do think that Apple is going to, is trying to look at where can we go next because the MacBook Air line itself has not changed a lot in the last several years. You know, I bought a new MacBook Air last fall and outwardly anyways, it's identical to my old macbook air
3: yeah we um, all have 11 inch right all four yeah i of have us? an 11 inch yeah. too so yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we clearly we're Ding. all lovers of the small form factor <laughs> so
1: that's a i think that's a good comment in the 12 inches favor um but i i'm interested to see if it ends up looking you know like what we saw here and i would not be shocked if it looked pretty close like jason said mark Herman's sources are often pretty good so uh i imagine we'll sit back and relax and see what happens in six months or so Jesse, your turn, what did you bring for us for a topic today?
2: Um well, as I just left uh, my temporary job at Facebook, um I've gotten a lot of feedback from people that's just like, "Oh man, good thing you got out of there. Facebook is stupid, And I get that. Um but I do see a lot of like people who are kind of who I see as the tech elite um, exhibit a lot of hostility towards Facebook and kind of dismissiveness towards it. Um, and I guess my question is why is it throwing the baby out with the bathwater?
0: Uh, this is a great question. I am one of those people who actually has Facebook and uses Facebook and has not deleted my account. And I know people, I, I saw another one the other day, somebody I knew who said they had reactivated it for some reason. And now they were going to deactivate it again. It's like, I don't mind Facebook. I don't love it. I, I, um, I think, uh, I think people in our business, um, uh, scoff at Facebook uh, at their own peril, not because of a threat, but because they are they are missing a big chunk of the world for some users. And just because it's not cool, or because it junks up your timeline with ads, or it treats publishers badly in that it wants you to pay um, in order to reach your own followers, yeah, th- that's all true. But at the same time, there are whole uh, chains of, uh, of, of parts of society and chains of, of uh, relationships that happen on Facebook. Facebook and I still find Facebook valuable for hearing for from a certain uh, section of my friends and family who don't do Twitter and don't get it and and don't you know this is this is how they communicate their lives is on Facebook so I think. Um, I, you know, I, I think people don't like Facebook because it's not cool because it's always trying to, uh, invent new ways of, uh, selling you things. And I mean, there are lots of reasons that, and, and it makes sense. I just think you got to get over it because the fact is people do use it and, um, and you're miss you're going to miss out if you don't pay attention to it, at least to a certain degree. I'm not saying you need to become a Facebook power user, but I think, uh, especially people who are trying to be savvy about the ways of technology, um, are, are, uh, losing Part of their knowledge base when they just write off Facebook because it's still a, just an amazingly powerful thing. As are a bunch of other social networks that you should probably not uh, write off.
3: Dan Frakes, yeah, I think there are a couple things. I mean, uh, one is that the tech elite, if that's what we're calling those people, um, are a lot more keyed into what's going on with privacy and advertising and tracking and those sorts of things. And Facebook is sort of the king of using those things to, to get you to do stuff and to you know, put advertising in front of you and things like that. And so I think there's, a, there's an element of creepiness that people who just use it casually don't either don't know about or don't care about, whereas those of us who are in the tech industry tend to care a little more. So I think that's part of it. Um, And I also think part of it may have to do with just the personalities of us in the tech world in that, um, you know, you know, Facebook has all these algorithms and they keep changing them all the time so that nowadays it's almost impossible to see a flow of everything that your friends have posted. There's just no view that does that anymore. Um, Facebook, uh, you know, they, they, they float things to the top that have been shared a lot or that a lot of people are looking at and they sort of artificially change your timeline, if you will. And that bugs a lot of people. I know it bugs me because I want to just go and say, what's been posted since the last time I checked Facebook? And that's a very Twitter-like thing. And I think a lot of us, that's why a lot of us like Twitter better in some ways, is because it feels like we have the control over what we're reading, what we can skip, what we don't care about. Whereas Facebook sort of rests that control from us and says, this is what we think you should look at. Sorry if you want to see everything else. And so um, I think part of it, uh, in both those ways, I think a lot of it just has to do with what, the priorities are and what the personalities are of people who are sort of tech savvy versus people who just want to use Facebook because they like seeing what's popular and what's going on.
1: Yeah, I think Dan nailed pretty much what I was going to say, which is I think it, it comes down to control. And I think a lot of people in, in the tech industry, the tech elite, if that, again, if that's what we're using, um, it, are for, you know, lack of a better term, nerds. And nerds like to have control over things and they like to know, you know, exactly what's going on. And, and I think that applies both to the, the sort of privacy policy stuff that Facebook does, as well as just the mechanics of the way the service works right now. So not having the ability to say not only like, what am I reading, but also when you're putting messages out there, like, you know, with Twitter, it's like, oh, okay, okay i can put this out there it's not going to get altered it's not going to get you know disappeared because it's not interesting right that decision is not being made for me so i think there's a lot of uh, a, a lot of stuff that keys into sort of the ethos of the tech sphere in terms of, you know, social networks that resound better with that rather than something like Facebook, which often comes across as a little bit overly interesting. It's a little too nerdy in some ways, just in the terms of it's like social, it's a socially awkward network. Let's call it that. Um, so I, I think that there's, you know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of different factors that play into why Facebook is so unpopular, or at least, you know, so criticized. But they're also, you know, a giant target too, and that that never hurts in terms of the same way that apple gets singled out for a lot of things that it does because it's a big prominent company facebook gets singled out because it's big and it's powerful and it's popular and so it's always going to have some of the backlash and some of it's also just that sort of nerd elitism idea of like oh well that's popular with everyone else you know that's not what i'm into so a little bit of the hipster in there too i guess
2: (laughs) totally total tech hipsters
1: yeah Um, those guys are the worst
2: yeah I guess when I, so when I think of it, especially having like been on the inside now, what I think is interesting about Facebook is that they are like a ridiculously profitable company. And that's not something that you hear about a lot, um, in big tech companies like Amazon, for instance, I don't think that they're profitable yet. And Amazon is also a company with incredibly questionable practices, you know, as far as how they get their market share. Um, you know, just stealing it from other people and, and not paying taxes in California and things like that. I don't know. There's still like, there are other sketchy companies um, that people still embrace. And maybe, maybe it is because Facebook is not hip enough. Um, But I think about, you know, like I am an avid Twitter user over Facebook any day I will take Twitter, but thinking about like, how I use Facebook, it's really primarily for family stuff now. And if I were to try and tell my family, like, hey, you guys, you should use Twitter instead. (laughs) Like, that would be ridiculous. Because Facebook does a million, billion more things. Um, It's kind of like trying to compare a Swiss army knife to, you know, a standalone object. Obviously, one object is going to be better um, at what it does than something that's trying to do a million things. Um, but I don't know. I, I think that Facebook is, is a useful tool that people write off. That's all. Anyway.
0: Um, that was a great topic. We are at halftime. We've got two more topics to go. I want to tell you about our halftime sponsor. It's Loot Crate, a monthly subscription box service for epic, geek, gamer items, and other pop culture gear. I just got my first Loot Crate the other day. It was awesome. My uh, my kids and I opened it up and had a great time pulling out all this great stuff. Here's what Loot Crate is. You spend less than $20 a month, and you get six to eight items, including licensed gear, apparel, collectibles, unique one-of-a-kind items. Last month's crate I got, um, I Am great. Root socks. They are So awesome. Uh, So starting in 2015, they wanted the first crate of the new year to celebrate geek and gaming icons of the past. So the January crate includes items from Star Wars and Voltron. There's some great geek apparel, including an exclusive and licensed shirt so you can kick off the new year in style. But you've got to do it soon. You've got until January 19th at 9 p.m. Pacific time to subscribe and receive the January crate. And once that cutoff passes, that's it. It's over. So if you want to sign up for Loot Crate and give it a try, go to loot crate.com slash clockwise and enter code clockwise at checkout to save 10% on any new subscription. And thank you so much to loot crate for sponsoring clockwise. It's a lot of fun. You should definitely check it out back to it. Topic number three is from me and CES is going on in Las Vegas. I suspect that that will be our last topic as well, because I'm looking ahead and seeing what Dan Frakes wants to talk about, but I wanted to talk about one little angle of it. I'm always fascinated by TV stuff at CES. And what really fascinates me about the TV industry is they managed to get get almost everybody to buy a new TV in the sort of 2000s and early 2010s when the big HD TV uh, switchover happened. And that was great. And now the TV industry is desperately trying to find something else to do to sell you a new TV. They tried 3D TV. It didn't work. They've got 4K TVs. They've got curved TVs. They've got OLED TVs. They've got all of this, this different stuff. And so this is a very simple question that I think is exactly what the TV industry wants to wants to ask you. And so I'm going to ask it for them. Uh, what would it take to, buy, to get you to buy a new TV? What is it? Is there something they could do that would make you want to buy a new TV and get rid of your old TV or not? Dan Frakes, how can I get you in a new TV today?
3: <laughs> you know, we actually just bought a new TV six months ago, so probably not much. Um, and the only reason we bought it then was because my wife said, we need a bigger TV. Um, and I <laughs> and was a bigger, like, better capitalize on that. <laughs> I, I, I like five minutes later, I clicked buy. Um <laughs> No um, seriously we, we had that older you know LED TV that was I think like 40 inches and in our family rooms kind of big and it looked small and and everybody in the family had been saying the same thing a bigger TV. so now we've got a bigger TV and there's really there's nothing compelling for me right now that would say, oh I've got to get a new TV. I mean uh, you know the, the vendors are trying to put all these smart services in them, but if you've got any other component in your in your entertainment system, whether it's a TiVo or a, a blu ray player or an Apple TV, All those things are already there. And who wants to do Twitter on their TV? I mean, I don't think we've ever used that. All
0: right. So that's one vote for bigger TV. (laughs) Bigger, cheaper. (laughs) Dan Morin.
1: Uh, like Mister Frakes, I I too just bought a new TV, um, probably a little under six months ago because my then TV broke. So I didn't really have a choice in the matter. Broken t- um, a TV that works that yeah, my a TV you. that works is that that would get me into a new TV today. Uh, but I've actually just been doing a lot of research on this for a an article, and um, I'm very. I'm interested but very skeptical about these the 4K TVs that are coming out, um, especially because, like, the resolution race kind of mimics the megahertz race and the digital camera megapixel race from years past. So, like, people keep hyping better and better, higher resolution. And it turns out, like, that may not be that important in the long run because it may not be the biggest thing. But I am very excited about, I don't know if you mentioned, Quantum Dots. Oh, I don't yeah. know if you heard about that. Yeah, this is the thing that's mm-hmm. big on everybody's lips. Is here is these quantum dots, was essentially these tiny little nanoparticles that you can kind of like apply to the existing LCD technology to make better colors. Um, just one thing I noticed as reading about them was like, oh, they sound great. What's, what's the problem? You know, um, well, they're highly toxic right now, so that's great. <laughs> don't break your TV. Um, I, I think that the OLED stuff is very interesting. It's going to be a while still before it comes down to price. I remember I've been hearing about these for like. I don't know, five, 10 years now, OLED displays are going to be the next big thing. Um, But they turned out to be really expensive to make. Uh, But they're supposed to be much more power efficient, much thinner TVs, much lighter TVs, much better colors, and just sort of blow away everything in the LCD and plasma range. So I'm interested in that, but I think that, you know, Especially since I just bought a new TV, I'm not in any hurry. And I that, that's great. It's a great position to be in because it gives you some time to see how this field is going to mature. And there's always new technology coming out.
2: Well, I have to say that I was pretty uninterested until uh, somebody threw around the term quantum dots. That <laughs> sounds I know. adorable. Um, I, gosh, I've always been a person who, uh, up until now, I, I own a, I own my own television now, a 53-inch plasma TV, Woo! which just sounds like I'm living in, like, 19, nice. the dream of 1999. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I always before just, like, would take my friends' old TVs when they bought, like, a new smart TV and didn't want their Vizio anymore, so I don't care that much. Um, I'd say, like... But if tomorrow Apple was like, we're making a TV and it has a really amazing proprietary remote that you can't use with anything else, and it's $1,000 and it has Apple TV built in, I'd probably do it. I'm a big fan of Apple TV. I know that not a lot of people are. Maybe that should have been my topic. I love the Apple TV. Um, And honestly, that makes my TV everything I need it to be.
0: I think what we've learned here is this is the problem with the TV industry right now. is mostly what we're saying is I would buy a TV basically to, because I, I decided I want a bigger one or because my old one broke and not because there's some new technology on the horizon that like HD TV and, and flat screens, when that all happened is uh, going to transform our, our lives. And I, I agree with that too. I, I have a hard time seeing 4k being something anytime soon because they're going to have to get a lot more 4k content. Um, mm. and even then, um, um, is 4k something that people really need in their homes? I'm not, I'm not sure. I suppose it'll happen regardless, but it's going to take time for me right now. The only reason I would buy a new TV would be exactly what's been said here. It, uh, the TV that I've got in my living room has been there for, you know, five years and it's looking a little small. And sometimes I wonder, maybe I should just go, go ahead and get a, a big, you know, 50 or 60 inch TV and just completely embrace this. Uh, but that would be the only thing that would motivate me to get a new TV unless it broke. Dan Frakes time for the last topic. Go for it.
3: So it's early January when you all know what that means. Um, it means that we have tons of articles from journalists saying how CES is dead or useless. And then a bunch of people responding saying, no, it's not. So I'm just curious, um, given that we're all in the tech industry, what CES means to you?
1: CES. Um, Well, to me, it means a great chance to watch other people talk about going to CES on Twitter. (laughs) Because I went twice, once with Mr. Frakes. You and I attended together in like 2008 or something. I don't remember. It's been a while ago. Uh, and I think i vowed at that point that I never wanted to go back, uh, and I was given uh, I was offered a chance to go this year and opted not to go and I think that was a smart decision um, because I think it was just it' just it, for me it 's kind of soul sucking and there is like it 's the same sort of thing with um, you know, Jason's talking about with the TV industry, where there's constantly like you know new things. It's kind of like going to like a carnival, and like you got like the sideshow barkers yelling at you from every angle, like come check out this new exciting iPhone case, check out my bigger TV, check out my Bluetooth speakers, and it's you know there's there's good stuff there, but the amount of time it takes to sort through and you know separate the the wheat from the chaff is just draining and it's huge and there's so much like you know there's football fields of stuff and you just start your eyes start to glaze over pretty quick and sort of finding things that are interesting um, to to learn about that haven't already been you know snapped up by the you know in our case you know as tech writers uh, snapped up by like the dozens of other thousands of other writers there is is tricky Um, and I feel like there's diminishing returns on it. I don't know that it's dead. I mean, it's there are not a lot of trade shows left. We saw, of course, this year that Macworld Expo is on hiatus. Uh, so there aren't a lot of things that are very much like CES anymore. Um, and it's always been a bit of a, a, an interesting beast. But I kind of feel like there is, you know, certainly a, a diminishing returns in terms of what I'm going to get out of it as a technology professional. So I'm just as happy to skip it this year. I will read the summaries afterwards and see what was actually really interesting. And and then, you know, when those things either come out or don't come out, as so often happens, I will enjoy them then.
2: CES. Okay, so I have a confession to make, which is that, well, I mean, I just don't care about CES at all. Like, at all. Just not, not at all. Good. In fact, I don't know what CES stands for. I don't even know what it stands for. What, is, what does the C stand for in CES?
1: C- consumer, which is ironic because I don't believe consumers were let in for many years. I think you can go now as just an ordinary no, person. No, you, you, you still, still can't. can't. Okay, you still can't. So, yeah.
0: As Philip Michaels exclusively revealed on sixcolors.com this week, CES stands for come on, everybody, stuff.
2: <laughs> yeah, that sounds... I mean, gosh, you know, I... Uh, y- you guys mentioned Macworld being on a hiatus, and like I enjoyed Macworld for a year, uh, but I don't know... <sighs> trade shows they're so part of i think part i have a very different view of trade shows maybe because i am a lady and going to those things is a very different experience for me uh no matter what kind of position you're in or what kind of badge you hold uh you're looked at slightly differently than you know the other people there um. So I don't tend to enjoy going to those. I don't tend to enjoy paying attention to them, especially because CES is just like the vaporware conference, mm. isn't it? It's just a bunch yeah. of kooky segues and stuff. I don't actually know anything about CES. <laughs> I'm just making up words right now.
0: That's that's I think actually you've you've answered the question incredibly well. I don't have a lot to add. Yeah, trade shows. I'd say sure it's sort of dying because all trade shows are dying. And uh, mobile most of the mobile stuff has moved to Mobile World Congress. Uh, the phone announcements have moved to a different trade show. It's too big. It's hard to handle. There are lots of things that get announced there that don't exist. There's a lot of ridiculous stuff. And there's a little bit of news. But unless you're somebody who really has to go because your organization must cover it, the fact is that I, I, I think there's too much uh, effort for too little Uh, gain in going, which is why I always hated going too. So, you know, I kind of don't care. I feel like CES is the kind of thing that instead of a thousand breathless pieces filed by reporters in Las Vegas over the course of seven days, you could write like a single story about what was interesting at CES and that would be good enough. Hey, Dan Frakes, the organization you work for, that's what the whole game plan is,
3: isn't it? Yeah, we we do one really long article that's just, these are the things that are important to CES. Um, I mean, a a lot of people, I think, forget that CES isn't for consumers. It's really for buyers. It's really so that everybody can get their gear out there and say, here, carry us in Best Buy. And that's really what CES is about. So it's not really aimed at consumers or people reading gadget blogs, but that's kind of what the fodder of it is. Um, But it is interesting, I think, in that it shows you what the trends are. And those trends sometimes are dumb and stupid, like... Like when we were talking about TVs, like backlit TVs and curved TVs, um, this year, one of the huge ones is actually home automation. And it's kind of neat because it feels like this category is finally coming around to where there's actually stuff you might want to use and buy. Um, and, uh, um, but, uh, it's also interesting to me as someone who's been in the Apple world, how every year there's a big Apple cloud hanging over everything. Um, this year it's the Apple watch and home you know, previous years it's iPads or iPhones, whatever. So, um, uh, you know, I think it's useful for what it is. I think people on our side take it a little too seriously. Um, but, uh, and it's fun to go to once in a while, like every five or 10 years.
0: All right. We have uh, reached the end of our topics. Dan, really quickly, do you have a bonus question for us?
1: I do, really quick. I've been uh, thinking about some travel recently. And I was curious if you had any places that you sort of earmarked on like the top of your list for places to visit. Jesse? Japan. Um, I'm going to say Australia and New Zealand. Anywhere outside of North
3: or South America would be great for me.
1: Well, I will uh, I will say that both Jason and Jesse's are on top of my list, but I also really want to go to Iceland. Oh, yeah. That's close. Heard, you could just... You I, could, yeah, I know. You could row a boat to, there from Boston. I hear it's cheap, too. I could, like, buy the whole place. But for now, I'd like to thank uh, the first of our guests this week, Jesse Char. Thanks so much for being here.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: And Dan Frakes, pleasure as always. Yeah, same here. Thank you.
0: And that's it for Clockwise. Hey, Dan. Yeah, what, Jason. Whatever
1: country you're in, <laughs> watch what you say. And wherever you might find yourself, keep watching the clock.
0: Bye, everybody. Bye.